0: Okay, the first thing I want to turn to is, and I thought this was beautiful the way God brought this out to me. And 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 the way he brought it out to me was, again, by your ending prayer on Monday. When, when that prayer, you just said, thank you, Daddy. Now, this is 1 John 2, verse 1. 1 John 2, and I'm not going to go into... Although these are awesome, precious truths. I'm not going to go into He's a propitiation. Uh, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. He's a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. <laughs> not, not for the sins of the whole world because we know that's not in the original. It, it never says that, you know. Um, again, because we've talked about the types in Leviticus 16, 1 to 7 and Leviticus 1, 4. So I'm not going into that. But just the first verse here. The first verse, this is what it says. It says, My little children. Isn't that interesting? It says, My little children, these things write I unto you. Who's writing these? It's God, God the Holy Spirit, that you sin not. And what that saying is this it's because we have so much in Christ, because He is our life, because He's given us, and He is so much, it's possible to sin. It's possible for the Christian to sin, but it's not normal in Christ. Oh, well, whoa, that's a very intense, right? And then it says, if any man sin, we... Notice it says we, it doesn't say all. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And just keep that word advocate also in mind, because when we go into some truths about the conscience this morning, that's going to play a huge part, okay? But what I want to focus on is the, my little children... I thought, that's incredible, because that, where it says little here, where it says little, it's, it's the Greek word technia, T-E-K-N-I-A, technia, and really, it's, it, it's a diminutive form. We're little. <laughs> Every one of us in Christ are little. This is what it says. It's diminutive, but it is a term of parental affection. Right? We have a father. How do we have a father? We're in Christ. We get to partake in as far as we can in our humanity. We're not deity, but as far as our humanity in Christ, we get to partake of a loving, affectionate embrace of a father. That's what we have. A dad. Daddy. And we'll see that. It applies. Listen to this. And I went, ooh, okay. This is the way I felt all along that it applies to Christians irrespective of their growth. So when I look at the context and I get up to verse 12, you know, we see certain things, right? You know, in, 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 in these respective places that we have, right? In First in, in John. We have, we have spiritual babes, Right? We have spiritual young men and women, and we have spiritual fathers. And guess what they all are in Christ under God their Father? Little children. Oh, God. <laughs> little, little, little children. And I, I won't go into them all because there's a plethora of scriptures, and you can look up the word respect and respecter. I think it's Acts 10 verse 34 talks about, it's the only time that English word is brought out in the King James Bible and in certain Bibles. God is no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of persons. Now that applies to the fact that are we better than the most unsaved wicked person? Nope. In that sense, God's no respecter of persons. But are we better off in Christ? Most certainly. And when I function there, will I be a respecter of myself outside of him? Others are unsaved? Or, you know, Christians? Lord God Almighty. No. No. God is no respecter of persons. And then he had me write these things down. I wrote them right in my my little cardinal Bible. I wrote them down. God is no respecter of persons. When I reverence God... I am no respecter of persons. I went, oh my God. I, when I reverence him, I'm no respecter of others. Listen, of anyone. The unsaved. I'm no respecter. Boy, what would our politics be like? (laughs) And our right thinking about them too. They'd be incredible. Okay. And there's a plethora of those scriptures. I'll give you the New Testament ones, but you can get a concordance. Look up the rest in this context. Okay. Is Romans 2, 11, Ephesians 6, 9, Colossians 3, verse 25, James. And this really brings it out. And I, I know I'm going to speak on this at some point. James 2, 1 through 9. That's very intense. Boy, I'll tell you what. That, you know, James 2, 1 through 9, I'm going to tell you what that brings out. It doesn't, it doesn't just bring out the respect that people have that, of each other in a bad sense, but it also brings out what people, Christians, bring into a local assembly and how they function like that. And that's James 2, 1 through 9. When you look that oh my when you look it up, it's unbelievable. And then the last in the New Testament, New Covenant, New Testament is 1 Peter 1, 17. And they are intense. Man. But what I wanted to talk about and what God really has been helping me with, intensely pertaining to the conscience, this is what He's been doing. And this is what he has to teach me. And we need. You know, sometimes we think, oh, okay, we got that message out, it was intense, and now we're done. Well, huh, I don't know if we'll ever be done with anything in here and know it like we ought to in 1 Corinthians 8.2 because we will only know it in part in 1 Corinthians 13.12 and we won't know it even fully in eternity because we're going to continue to learn it without interruption, though, of course. That's what hinders the impart, but then face-to-face with him in heaven. But we need to know the difference in we and me. Me. God was teaching me, the Holy Spirit, taking the scriptures. Because I deeply needed these the last two days. Deeply. We need to know and make an accurate understanding of what it means to have sin in the flesh and sin on the conscience. Truthfully. Is there sin in the flesh? Well, of course there is. Why would we confess it? Why would it say in John 6.63 and Romans 7.18, the flesh profits nothing. There's no good in it. That'll do away with the one naturist and the false teaching of that once again. It's crystal clear. We confess that. We don't confess that the enemy was was coming against us and if we quote enough scriptures, we can make them go away. That's the one naturist position. (laughs) what can we do without them? In John 15, verse 5. Again, we need to know that difference. And again, that's where even the understanding, as we grow in it, that's where 1 John 1, 1 through 10, will teach us those differences by the time we even get to to, to verse 2, chapter 2 and on. But we need to have that foundation in us. And that's why it says, In these scriptures, and and I'm going to read this, in Hebrews 10, verse 1, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image, note that word image, of the things, and the image of the things, for us in Christ, that's who we are, the things. In other words, it's his person and the accomplishment of his works that's given me and made me to have a proper image. That's what that's saying can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto complete. For then would they have not ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged, can I be a proper worshiper if I don't have a purged conscience in my experience? Once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. <laughs> okay, now this is what he was teaching me. This morning, this is what he was teaching me, that there is an immense, immense and huge moral, and if I have godly morals, which is the only morals that are godly, then I have spirituality, and you can't separate the two, by the way. There is an immense moral, spiritual difference between, listen to this one, praying for forgiveness. Does a Christian pray for forgiveness? How many times do we do it? How many times we do it? How many times have I done it? How many times I forget? How many times I've done it? Between praying for forgiveness and confessing our sins, (laughs) confessing it. One is just a declaration. One is just a declaration. The other is an absolute, intimate, with Christ, confession. Because we're in Him. We couldn't even confess it properly if He wasn't in us and we were in Him. There's an immense difference. God said this to me again this morning. He said, you write this down. And He was talking to me when He said, you, you, Ed, you write this down. You write it down. Declarative knowledge. The enemy and the flesh will use declarative knowledge to accuse and condemn everyone especially Christians because he can never use experiential knowledge he can never use it and so he deceives the world and revelation 12:9 and if a Christian lives in the flesh he's living in the world under the power of the world, in their experience, not in their position, but in their experience, and they are deceived. And then, with that deception, okay, what do you do with declarative knowledge? You'll use the legalism of the flesh to declare the law. It's just the law of the flesh. That's all it is. In Romans 8, 2 and 3, it's the law of the flesh. That's what it is. And the enemy will use it to accuse. Listen, he'll use it to accuse us of each other. You know, it's very interesting. No matter who we're with, no matter how spiritual they are, did you know you're going to see them have areas of the flesh and fail? I don't know. What should we do then? Should we point it out? Maybe that would be private. Maybe if you're led by God, keeping in mind you never rebuke an elder, in First Timothy 5:5, 5, 5, you never do that. But why would you be surprised? Why would you be surprised? Why should I be surprised? I don't care how mature we are. We're still children and we're still growing. But, but to look at another in the place where they are, even in their growth, and to see, wow, there's sin, you know, there's sin. But boy, I love the word. I got news for you. We're all in this together. uh, Babes, young men, and spiritual dads are all gone, but you can't exchange places. And to do so is very, very dangerous and, and seriously, subtly, very, very proud. Now, here. So, there's an immense difference between praying for forgiveness and confessing our sins. Now, listen. Whether we look at it in reference to the character of God... That's who we are in 1 John 1, 7. The character of God through Christ. The sacrifice of Christ. Or, listen to this one, the condition of the soul. So key. And the condition speaks of the experience. The experience. Now, is it possible that a person's prayer can involve the confession of his sin? Yes, whatever it may be. And then come to the same thing, though. We're not praying for forgiveness. The prayer is confession. We're already forgiven. Ephesians 4, verse 32. Why can't we forgive one another? Well, because we are already, listen, past tense, forgiven. You know, when those two, the, 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 uh, the rich man, the Pharisee, and the publican, they came to offer their sacrifice, and that was in Luke 18, 13, and 14. As the Holy Spirit brings it to mind, like He so faithfully does with the scriptures, and I'm so thankful. They showed up, and the Pharisee was saying, giving, giving of his, whatever he could of his substance in sacrifice uh, to God. And he was saying of the publican, I thank God that I'm not like him. <laughs> wow. Declarative. Declarative knowledge no know Christ. In declarative knowledge, there's no Christ experiential. Now, knowledge is good, if it leads to a proper understanding and intimacy that it's Christ. And by the way, we don't reverence God outside of Christ. We don't reverence Him outside of Him. And uh, and then the, then the 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 publican, that pure sinner, was banging his chest and crying out. Listen, like we do at times, if we don't understand this truth. Have mercy upon me, God. He was begging, beseeching God for forgiveness. That was in terms of salvation. Okay, so now once we're in Christ, were the sins forgiven and dealt with once and for all? In Hebrews 10.10, were they? That's part of a purged conscience. That's part of an understanding, of understanding these truths and making the difference between praying for forgiveness and confessing our sins. It's huge. And I found it many times throughout even the few days, me not functioning properly in my experience about these truths. And boy, don't you think the enemy, through deceiving, he could accuse me. Oh yes, and He could accuse us all. Oh yes, He's an accuser of the brethren. Those that are in Christ that have their sins dealt with. Boy, oh boy. And we hate it. And I hate sin in me. And, and I don't need, and you don't need, any monitors for our sins. And, and the, the worst thing that we could do, the worst thing that we could do, and I, I think especially leaders is to publicly rehearse their sins. Keep it private. Because you don't know what the enemy will do with that. Not only with the unsaved, but very young believers. Keep it private. He told me that this morning. But, of course, is it going to be dealt with? You betcha. But that's between God and the individual. You read Psalm 51 and verse 4. Against God and God only. But that was paid for. And that's why David was crying out in Psalm 51.6 and Psalm 51.10 those particular verses. You desire truth in the inward part, verse 6. Create me a clean heart. It's not a clean conscience in 51.10. This is the difference, okay? Whatever it may be, at least we come to the same place. But the truth is, is it always well, is it always good for us to keep close to the Scriptures, to keep close to Christ, is it? In what we think and what the Scriptures think and say and do, never us. The flesh, the flesh is so subtle because it was evil genius that delivered it to Adam and then every one of us, by the way. Genius, but evil. Evil. Oh, boy. It is. So then, what? Here's the evidence, the proof of these scriptures. The evidence is this, that the Holy Spirit Spirit speaks in those scriptures based upon Hebrews 10, 1 and 2, Hebrews 10, 10, Hebrews 10, verse 14, John 19, verse 30. In light of those, the finished work of a clean conscience of a believer in Christ... He brings up 1 John 2, 1 and 2. 1 John 1, 9. We confess. We confess. We don't declare in the sin what we are. We confess what was done about it and who we are in Christ. Listen, that has to go into experience. You you need knowledge, but you don't gain it by knowledge. It takes time. Boy, let me tell you. Right here, it takes time. Boy, he's so patient. <laughs> no wonder. First Corinthians 13, 4, love is, and 5, love is so patient. Love is patient. And boy, he's so kind. What is so hard about reverencing him? I'll tell you what's hard. You can't do it in the flesh. When you function in Christ, you will purely reverence him, him and him alone. So, this is the truth. So the Holy Spirit always in that context that we read, those scriptures, always and only speaks of confession. He's not speaking of praying. Big difference. Huge difference. And boy, I was like, whoa. Oh, good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Right? It is equally evident, though, that he knows there are moral or a lack of proper morals and experiential spirituality in in and practical results, in our experience, flowing out of confession. He knows that. That's why he's our guide. That's why we need the word. And when I listen, when you and I go to the word in absolute trust, without doubt, and in all humility as his plan humbles us, then the Holy Spirit can take the things of Christ and show them unto us and free us from the lie, the deception, the accusation personally. And believe me, I and God made this clear to me too. He said, You know, there's areas, Ed, in your life where. In one sense, you give the devil more credit when it's your flesh. It's just disobedience. And we and we can know the difference in that. That's another message. But that's a reality. It was my reality. It was my learning. And we can make these things that flow out of, of, of prayer, which is a confession, and really it's a confession, that don't have anything to do with prayer. It doesn't. We need to understand those Greek words for prayer, especially in the, in the original Koine Greek in the New, New Covenant, New Testament, of what those different words mean in their place, in the proper context where they are. Because then we'll have precise understanding and be able to continue to function in intimacy in Christ and just continue to reverence God. And in that way, the wicked one in 1 John 5.18, he cannot touch my experience, but he will tell you what, he goes after it. Boy, boy, I was so happy to read this this morning. I, I was so blessed to know that my father loves me this much. So glad that I'm in Christ. I'm so happy. I'm so free. Boy, we don't need to know in each other after the flesh. Not even a second. Because we miss reverencing Christ when we do so. No, no man after the flesh. I don't care who you're with, when you're with him. God's, God has a continual training for His children, babes, young men, spiritual dads. It does we don't have to know each other because after the flesh, it's not God's view of us. In two Corinthians five sixteen, old things are not in the process when we function in these areas of the flesh. Instead, that that you know, it's not passing away; it's already passed away. All things are new in Him. Behold, He's made in Christ a new creation. That's what it really says. It's not a new creature. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's a new creation. And out of that, guess what, comes what? A brand new creature with a brand new image. Oh, how should we know each other then? How should we treat each other then? Oh, dear God. You know, when we treat each other wrong and in the flesh, you think we'll, you think we'll get along with God and pray for them? No. We'll use declarative knowledge that comes from the enemy God means knowledge to lead us to an experience. The enemy wants to use declarative knowledge to accuse, judge, and condemn, especially Christians in their fault, in that kind of false relationship. That's not a relationship. So, we're going to hurry on here. Anyway, thank God for these truths. Thank God for these truths. Listen. This, this is a point of fact that God needs to get into us. Okay? That when we... And I found myself doing this in a habit of importuning prayer, beseeching God for forgiveness like the unsaved publican in Luke 18, 13 and 14. I think it's 14 especially. I've done that with all the word that I have. Don't tell me we don't need him constantly. I mean, I mean, it's like he said, Don't dare you, Ed, say, you don't need me constantly. And that's said with the purest, most holy love. Don't you think that I don't need you to be near my son? Because there is where located the loving, affectionate Father that we deeply desire can't do without. And by the way, we can't do without God. What do we do without God? fact of the matter is, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What a a place in their oneness that each of them play in our life. is incredible. That's why it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and it was the Holy Spirit prayer through Paul. I pray God, your whole spirit, I pray to God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord and faithful is He. Who called us? Who will also do it? You know how we function in faithfulness by leaning entirely on him in absolute humility and dependence. And when I'm faithful, guess what I am? I'm reverencing God. I'm thankful. There's thankfulness with reverence. You see it in Ephesians 5:20 and 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18, and it enters into a sacrifice in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. We offer him with, a, with a, an incredible reverence. The sacrifice and His love returns. And it just keeps coming and we keep returning what, what we received. And boy, what a flow that is. And oh, oh God, isn't that oneness and isn't that what's missing in the universal church? It's not missing in those that are in heaven. But it can be in us and God will be faithful, won't He? He said He would be. Well, the fact of the matter is, fact of the matter is, when we do do that, even as believers, what are we functioning in? Ignorance. And the Holy Spirit and His faithfulness displays and brings and manifests that out to us. He displays the ignorance. It's ignorance. You just don't know. You're not functioning properly in your position, and so you're ignorant in your experience. What? You are ignorant, the Holy Spirit, as to the ways, and here's this word again, in... Those words in and of are so huge. Just as huge. They're little words, but they are impactful. In, of, we, and us. Look at all those verses, especially in the epistles. All through the New Testament, but look at those in their context. They're little words, but they're packed with meaning. Packed with meaning, right? But we're ignorant in the way in which God has revealed himself. Listen, in the person, in the person and the work of Christ. (laughs) What's God's view of us? His only view. It's Christ. What's my view of me? Nonstop, whether I fail or not, no wonder it says in Romans 7, 17 and 20, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. And there's where we have to go. We're going down. We're not leaving him. He's not leaving us in Romans 7. After we get the beautiful truths in chapter 3, 4, and 5, and 6, the truths in Romans, the time we're going to go forward and get to Romans 8, no condemnation, verse 1, all the way down to the 39th verse, no separation. We have to go through that valley. But is he with us in the valley? 2 Kings 3.16, make this valley full of ditches. (laughs) You may be in a ditch, but God's with you. Ditch of ignorance. He's teaching you, he's showing you, he's separating who you're not and bringing you into who you are in a proper image. This all has to do with conscience, by the way. And it all has to do with image. You can't separate experientially a pure conscience from pure image. Listen, I don't know these things. God's revealed them to me even in this microscopic way and he's going to have me grow in them constantly constantly until I see Christ face to face. But as we wrap this up, I still have a little ways. As we wrap this up, that's the facts. In the person, we're ignorant of how God reveals himself in the person and work of Christ. Listen, watch this. As to the relation in which the sacrifice of Christ has placed the believer. What is a what does it mean to relate? Can you relate properly without a relationship? Does sin do, do sins touch relationship? No. Why? Because Christ is there, interceding for us. <laughs> oh God so freeing for me. He's interceding for us. Romans 8, verse 34. He's interceding. ever lives to intercede for us. He's ever living and interceding for us. In in, in, uh, uh, Hebrews 7, verse 25 and in Hebrews 9, verse 24. He's doing it. He's doing what only He can do. He's seeing us through in that prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 through His intercession. It's not about prayer. It's not about prayer. He sees the end from the beginning and doing so in his anticipative love and his prevenient grace he begins to intercede for us even before we sin and then while we sin he's interceding for us and after we sin he intercedes for us that's what it means he's ever living he doesn't stop being for us oh lord help and thank you jesus and boy i do mean it too <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you. What? Relationship. Where he set us. That is the only way. God's only way. Remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Is that even true in experience? Is that true in proper image? Yes, salvation. But how about growth and experience and and proper image? This This is amazing to me. It's so humbling. I know these things are coming out of my mouth, but I thank God I have a ton to learn. And boy, he's made, he, his grace has made me at least ready to this far to just be able to receive it and not compare myself. And that's another thing he brought out. Again, the enemy will use declarative knowledge through the flesh to compare ourselves. In 2 Corinthians 10, 12, to compare one with another. Christ is the same, you know, in each individual. And that's why it says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same. Yesterday. The individuals yesterday in Christ. Today, their individual today. And their tomorrow future in the individual. So beautiful. Boy, I'm thankful for this. I needed to hear, boy, these last couple, three days, I don't know, boy. That's what this, this fast God had to get, get a hold of me. Boy, I'm so grateful. Right? But here, that's God's way, through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, of getting the conscience, listen to this, relieved from the burden, the false burden, the false need, based upon a lie. Who's the burden bearer? Psalm 55, 22, 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. Christ is the burden bearer. To relieve the conscience from the false burden and to be purified, listen to this, from the evil of sin. <laughs> A pure conscience, Titus 1, verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure. You want to talk about seeing all men clearly in Mark 8, verse 24. Will I judge an unsaved person? Will I judge an evil person? The person himself? No. What they may function in in their conduct? Without getting irritated, there's no irritation in grace and truth. Yes! All you that love God, Psalm 97, verse 10, hate evil. That's right. Right? And again, you'll see it in in Ephesians 4, uh, 26 and 27. Right? Be ye angry and sin not. There's a godly anger. Okay? But it's not thinking one person, one Christian's better than the unsaved. They're better than another Christian. Never. It's not our place. The Only one judge. Oh, God, thank you. Not only do I have others free from me not being their judge, but boy, am I free from the lie, the bondage, and the nonsense and the evil of it. (laughs) The evil of sin. Listen, God has been, past tense, perfectly satisfied with the believer in Christ. About their sins. Huh. Does he hate sin? Ha! Huh. Are we our sins? No! God has been perfectly satisfied as to all the believers' sin in, there's that word in, the cross of, there's that word of Christ. On that cross, a full atonement. We need to understand what that even, the full reconciliation, and even what that means. And we won't go into it this morning by, as God leads, but a full atonement, a full reconciliation, that's the proper word in the original, was presented. Listen to this, for every jot and tittle of sin. What will the enemy cause me? And that's Jesus Christ who fulfilled it in Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Right? For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to them that believe. Okay, so what does that mean? God is the end. Christ is the end of every believer judging themselves or anybody else. That's right. Because all you can do is use the law. Because the law wasn't designed for the flesh to eke out some form of righteousness, which our righteousness is of Christ in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. But as to eke out their own sense of righteousness by comparing and judging and accusing and condemning others. I think this is the, the clearest I've ever seen the Word of God in my 68 years. Boy, I'm looking forward to grow as his child. Wow. Uh, f- was presented for every jot and tittle of sin if the believer's nature, no, if, if the believer's nature and on his conscience. i read it again. Okay, that cross, on that cross, a full atonement, these are some notes, the full atonement was presented for every jot and tittle of sin. If the believer's nature was dealt with on that cross, so was his conscience. Huh. Oh, Lord. Whew. You want to talk about freeing for me? Oh, it's been a long haul in areas. Boy. God, so from this point, God does not need any further propitiation. That's 1 John 2, 1 and 2. He doesn't need anything other than the gift of his son. That's why he said in Genesis 22, verse 8, through uh, Abraham saying it to Isaac, getting the word of God from God to say to his son, my son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And in providing for himself, he's provided for us. And he's satisfied resting in his son, And are we? Yes, the only place we rest satisfied is when we function in him in a proper image and in an individual experience that no one else can do it for us. Wow, Joints that supply. Ephesians 4:16. Almost done. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need a single thing to draw his affectionate love toward the believer. We're in Christ. You would to talk about affection? No wonder Jesus said, when he said to, to Mary who met him at the tomb, finally figured out he wasn't the gardener, he was her teacher, her loving rabbi, her loving savior, who wanted to keep him there. And he said, no, I got to go. I got to go. I have to go in a seat for you. Okay? It's not that she was impure, because I thought her sins were dealt with. Oh, he, Christ was so pure he couldn't touch her. Yeah, right. How many lepers did he touch? God. You know, when he touches us in our experience, out goes the leprosy, the sin, the lie. Out it goes. Boy, oh boy. You read Leviticus. You get into the book of Leviticus. I believe it's the 13th and 14th chapters about leprosy and sin and how it represents that and how leaven does the same thing. Well, as we wrap this up this morning... He's not, he doesn't require you and I to supplicate Him to be faithful and just. He is faithful and just. And just there means, and God brought this out to me, uh, he, and I never saw it before, a couple of weeks or a week ago. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And when, and, and that's 1 John 1, nine. That goes into a ton that God's taught us and we can bring up at a different time. But when it says that in 1 John 1, nine. He is faithful, yes. Now, what is he faithful in to himself? When it says he's faithful, who is he faithful to first? Himself. (laughs) No wonder our faith is in him. If we have any. (laughs) Our dependence. He's faithful. He's faithful to himself because he's provided for himself. (sighs) He's provided. He's faithful and just just there means justice. His justice, faithful and just to forgive. And what is forgiveness? It's the confirmation of his love. So that's love and justice. Never being satisfied. Does away with the false teaching of universalism and annihilationism quickly. According to John 3, verse 36, 1 Thessalonians 1:10, 1, 1 Thessalonians 5.9. If the Holy Spirit brings him back, I'm going to say him. <laughs> even if they are too much, they're not too much for me, this little, this little pea brain. <laughs> oh, Lord. Right? Look, he's faithful and just. Listen, when his faithfulness and justice have been so gloriously displayed, vindicated, and answered in the death of Christ. Did we die with him? Did we? When we received him as our Savior. That's baptism. That doesn't even do with life, by the way. Like some, you know, whatever. We're dead. Colossians 3.3. 3. Colossians 3.4. He died. We died with him. Galatians 2, verse 20. I am crucified. Past tense, with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I. Woo! Yet not I. Yet no judgment. Yet no accusation. Yet no condemnation. You know, sometimes I think the enemy loads us with those things, and we can't handle them, so out they got to come to somebody else. I hope that's not too much. Jeez. Talk about insanity. Right? No, no. Look at our sins are so beautiful. Our sins can never come into God's presence. As much as Christ who bore them all and put them away is there instead. What's instead? He's in my place. Where's my place? In him. In him. I'm going to wrap it up quick. But, but, if we, who? If we, who? Many? All? We. Children, that's right. If we sin, conscience will feel it. Look at, and he told me, must feel it. He made it clear to me. Your conscience must feel it. The Holy Spirit himself, that's conviction, will make us feel it. That's how he guides us into all truth in John 16:13 and 14. It's about Christ, but he's guiding us out and in. Right? He cannot allow so much as a single light thought to pass unjudged in us. Boy, I want to tell you that's what he's doing in me. Personally, not one single thing. You judge yourself, accuse yourself. Does yet? No. Anybody else? No. Unsaved? No. What do you do? <laughs> I gotta got have these zippers, you know. <laughs> Read Psalm 39. There's a beautiful psalm about zipping it. Oh Lord. He can't allow it. So then what? What do we do? do? We do anything? Has our sin made its way into the presence of God? Has it? Oh God, forgive me for that. What are we saying when we say that? Somehow my sin entered into his presence. That's not confession. That's that's not confession. I can't tell you how many times I've done that in my 68 years. Yeah, theologian and scholar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you, God. Okay? No. Has it found its place, its place in, in the presence of God? Has it found its place in the unsullied, unmixed, glorious, Beautiful light of the inner sanctuary of God's very presence where Christ dwells and we we dwell positionally in Him. Never, what do we have then about sins? We have the advocate, we have one who's on our side, one who represents us and, and is the freedom of God's justice so His love flows continually. We have the advocate, we have the advocate, He's there. Interceding for us. Jesus Christ the righteous. That's what it says, right? First John 2, 2. Jesus Christ the righteous. Do I have any righteousness of my own outside of him? If I think I do, will I use the law to activate the flesh to become a judge? God help us. Now, Jesus Christ the righteous is there. What? What does he maintain in his de- depth of his love? He wants to maintain us in unbroken integrity. The relationship in which we stand. That's our position. That's, that's uh, Romans 5, 1 and 2. That's what that is. We stand. Our position is in Christ. It's in Christ. What's my experience? What does the enemy go after? But what does God, the Holy Spirit, go after? And who's greater? In 1 John 4, 4. Who's greater? He showed me that. Boy, I needed it. Greater is he that's in you than he that dwells in the world. That's he that's in this world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith, our dependence. In 1 John 5, 4. In Christ. Boy. It's the relationship in which we stand. It's a settled... And God told me, write it down. I wrote it down. I'm gonna, I'll read it to you. Just how God said, write it down. It is a settled, perfect complete relationship that doesn't need fixing or another thing done. That's finished. John nineteen thirty. It doesn't need us to finish anything in ourselves. Oh, by the way, much less than anybody else. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Though it cannot make its way, here's the key, though it cannot make its way into God's presence, it can make its way into ours. In our experience, can't touch our position. In a most distressing and humiliating way. But even in that sense, even the evil that under the influence of Satan that Joseph's brothers did to Joseph, God was teaching him this very truth that we know far greater than even Joseph knew it. In Genesis 50, verse 20, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. God allowed it, didn't cause it. In James 1, 13, God doesn't tempt any man with evil, neither he tempts any man. But God used that evil to humble the believer, to get them back to the place of reverencing Christ, reverencing God, reverencing the Holy Spirit in a proper, glorious, beautiful image in Christ. And he and he does. He, it can make its way in there. Now, it cannot hide the advocate from God's view. Thank God. Did you hear that? Even sin, in my experience, the lie of it, in my conscience, can it hide God's advocate from God about me and you? No. Job 36, 7. He never removes his eye from the righteous. And who is our righteousness? Whoo! Christ is our righteousness, you know. Christ is our oh boy. I wish the legalists and the doers and all these and the legalism and the flesh of God dealing with me and we could all receive it and deal with it. Can't hide the advocate from God's view. Guess what? It can hide him from our view. You know, in that in that sense experientially, Titus one fifteen. To the pure, all things are pure. But to them that are unbelieving, is anything pure? No. It can make its way into ours. And what does it do? It gathers like a thick cloud on our spiritual horizon so that our souls don't live and bask spiritually, morally in the blessed, glorious light of our Father's countenance. Boy, I'll stop it there. Stop it there because there's more. But we have to trust God. I have to trust Him with you. So Father, thank you for Your precious Word this morning. Thank You for giving it to me so personally in my personal life and, and to all of us, Father. And, and thank You. We thank You for You, Father. We thank You for, for Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And we thank You for the precious Holy Spirit, our Teacher. And thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.